electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the TikTok soap opera continued an exclusive interview with Vanessa Pappas, the woman now at the head of the TikTok table, finding a deal for its U.S. fans. We understand the concerns of the U.S. government. Uh, while we, we don't fully agree with those concerns, we are fully committed to providing a safe and secure platform for TikTok for our users. My agenda is made in the USA. President Donald Trump closed out the final night of the Republican National Convention by formally accepting his party's nomination, pollster Frank Luntz. This election is way too close to call. The debates are gonna matter. We're gonna have record viewership. And Billie Jean King, one of the first activist athletes to make a splash on and off the court on sports and civil rights in 2020. We need to have change and we need to help each other, be kind and good to each other. It's just so basic and scary. An interview you'll hear only on this podcast. It's Friday, finally, August 28th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Melissa Lee along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Mike Santoli. Joe and Becky are off today. What a story it has been in a soap opera uh, all week long. Uh, we are learning more about uh, some of the details involved in uh, the uh, sale of TikTok after Walmart confirmed yesterday it has teamed up with Microsoft on a bid source it's telling CNBC that Walmart initially wanted to be the lead buyer for TikTok in a consortium that at one point had included Alphabet had been assembled by SoftBank COO Marcelo Clore, uh, who's been on our show many times, also runs WeWork or uh, had been the chairman of WeWork. Uh, Walmart wanted to be the exclusive e-commerce and payments provider for TikTok. But the sources said the U.S. government wanted the lead buyer to be a tech company because, of course, that would be a better fit with the national security rationale for forcing the Chinese parent ByteDance to divest TikTok in the U.S. That's when Walmart decided to team up with Microsoft in a bid that it confirmed yesterday. In the statement, Walmart said it was confident a partnership with Microsoft would meet expectations of both TikTok users and the concerns of U.S. regulators. And anybody who says that they're in the bidding for TikTok all of a sudden gets almost a re-rating in the markets. I mean, a huge, huge uh, rally we saw in shares of both Microsoft, which had already rallied on this on news of a of a TikTok bid. And of course, Walmart right. and, and the thinking for Walmart is a really interesting one, particularly as they're moving from a transaction based model to a more hopefully subscription based model when they're going after Amazon Prime with a subscription model. I mean, right. in a subscription model, of course, a captive audience is worth something. And what better captive audience than the audience on TikTok? Well, the other piece of it is, you know, it, it, ByteDance already does this um, in in China. So. Uh, really sort of leveraging the e-commerce part of the platform. It also, by the way, creates real, could create real competition and change the dynamic of even the conversation we've been having about big tech and particularly Amazon over these past years because you could argue that Walmart therefore becomes a much more meaningful competitor in that space when it comes to search, when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to these platforms. Having said that, it may create its own set of, um, I don't want to say nightmares, but, but challenges, let's just say, because 
the, the more that Walmart gets into that space, the more to some degree Walmart ends up competing with some of the small businesses that ultimately get on their platform. We've seen a lot of that debate around what's happened with Amazon. So we should note that there's Oracle still out there uh, as, 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 as a stalking horse. I don't know if they're the stalking horse bidder. Uh, we keep saying that Microsoft and Walmart are the lead bidders, but uh, there, there's other views that, that, in fact, Oracle may be the lead bidder. Andrew, one thing I've wondered about Mike? from the beginning of this is why Microsoft wants or needs a partner in this. Financially, not an issue. Obviously, technologically, not an issue. Oh. Is there some sense that the leadership of Microsoft uh, is doing this in part because it feels as if this company, you know, needs some kind of rescue? And, and it's not right. necessarily no, no. strategic? So, I, 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 no, so that's a great question. Um, and the, the answer is that at least initially, the strategic element of this for Microsoft, oddly enough, when they first started talking, they weren't talking about buying the company. They were effectively talking about effectively a minority, in, taking a minority interest in the company in exchange, TikTok would go from using the Google Cloud as its platform, as its host, to using the Microsoft Azure business, which effectively would have made TikTok one of its biggest clients overnight, would have put Microsoft in the video wow. consumer space, space they have not historically been. And so that was the, that was the strategy part of it, which was that Microsoft just wanted to have this, this great new client on its platform. Um, AWS and Google Cloud have, for the most part, taken the video piece of the world. Netflix, of course, uses both of those services, uh, has not used Azure historically. So if they could, they could use TikTok, also use that as a proof point, potentially to bring in other clients. That's why Microsoft was initially interested. In fact, I think there was an anxiety about getting into the consumer social media business at this moment, in large part because of all the politics around it and all the attention it would get and, and trying to keep to not lose focus from the very profitable business enterprise uh, uh, an enterprise uh, customer that they focus on. So that's where this started. And then, of course, Trump, uh, the Trump administration and, and Trump, the president himself, said, no, 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 you got to sell this thing. And that's when they started talks that became much more uh, uh, went from being about a minority interest to a control interest. And, and that's how this all s seemed to happen. So. I want to get straight to our newsmaker of the morning. Julia Borson joins us with a very, very special guest. Julia. Thanks so much, Andrew. Vanessa Pappas joins us now in a CNBC exclusive interview. She's the interim head of TikTok. Vanessa, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Vanessa, I'm very curious what you see as your role right now taking on this role as interim head in the midst of all of these deal talks and on the heels of the abrupt departure of CEO Kevin Mayer? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, much to what I was doing previously, which is really focused on the operations of TikTok, making sure that we're providing this amazing experience for the millions of users that we have, uh, certainly here in the U.S. and then globally, where we've captured the attention of hundreds of millions around the world um, who really do come to TikTok every day to celebrate in this amazing, you know, community uh, that's finding joyful moments and connectivity. Well, a community that's certainly drawn the attention of some major tech companies and retailers here. Which buyer do you think makes more sense for TikTok's assets? Is it a Microsoft Walmart coalition or is it an Oracle-led group? Which makes more sense? Look, I think, you know, we have... Uh, a few different options on the table, and certainly that it is uh, incredibly humbling to see the, the attention that we've uh, received uh, from buyers and, again, our community alike. Uh, I, I really 
I'm not involved in the deals uh, personally, so I don't want to uh, speak too much to that. But I think, you know, if you look at the various uh, players and uh, the partners that we're, we're hearing from, I think they're amazing tech companies. You know, Oracle has its strengths in terms of uh, being a leading uh, data infrastructure company and, and focused on security. Um, Microsoft as well, a uh, great security and privacy platform, uh, as well as everything they're doing with the cloud. So, yeah, I, I think uh, amazing, reputable companies, uh, and we're certainly flattered for that. Now, you may not be that involved in deal talks, but you're certainly involved in the company and how the company could change under any of these owners. Um, you didn't mention Walmart. Walmart surprised a number of people. What kinds of assets or advantages do you think uh, you, TikTok, could bring to Walmart as part of that uh, Microsoft bid? Yeah, so, I mean, Walmart's certainly interesting. Um, you know, for us, we've been really focused uh, recently on rolling out some e-commerce features. Uh, we've been providing that for our creator community is another way for them to earn a livelihood. Uh, you know, it's also something this week alone, we actually launched our live shoppable uh, e-commerce link. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different synergies there. But uh, certainly right now, we're really focused on just providing this amazing uh, platform for all communities to come together for that creative expression. Hey, Vanessa, I have a, I have a question about the, the U.S. operations versus effectively the global operations, which is to say that once it gets hived off, what you think the implications of that will be and how that changes the competitive landscape and dynamic. Once this gets hived off, how does that change this dynamic and is there, are you concerned at all about either brand confusion uh, between the TikTok that may exist in Europe versus the TikTok that may exist in China versus the TikTok that may exist in India versus yours? Uh, do you imagine even changing the name in the future? All great questions. Uh, so first, uh, and one of the misperceptions out there is that TikTok operates or the app operates in China, which it doesn't. Uh, so TikTok globally, you know, we've seen it really uh, just had this phenomenon around the world and, and you know, driving um, such amazing engagement from uh, millions, uh, hundreds of millions of users around the world. And certainly that's something that we take to heart, that whatever we've done so far has worked. And that's something that we're going to hold true in any future scenario, something that we're going to want to protect. Uh, so from a brand perspective, from the global reach that a creator can have, uh, by coming onto the platform, to the diversity of content that they're going to see because it is a global platform. Uh, that's something that we're really going to want to make sure that we're ensuring that continuation of the experience for our users. Vanessa, you mentioned that you're not directly involved in the deal negotiations. It sounds like perhaps the CEO of ByteDance is in the driver's seat on that. But at, the, at, the, at that table, uh, does the administration have a seat and is it equal to the seat that the CEO of ByteDance has? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't respond to that since I'm not <laughs> in those conversations. Uh, but certainly, you know, our CEO is looking uh, to have the best outcome for our creators, our employees, our advertisers. You know, this is something that we are really looking to protect in any future scenario that we're exploring. Do you have any sense, though, Vanessa, at all, of the administration's involvement in all of this, even if it's just saying, hey, you know what, we, we sort of favor Microsoft over an Oracle, or we would prefer you to have a tech partner. Um, are there phone calls, to your understanding, between 
the ByteDance CEO in the administration on a, on a fairly regular basis as, as this intensifies? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't respond to that. But, you know, again, we, we understand, the, understand the concerns of the U.S. government. Uh, while we don't fully agree with those concerns, we are fully committed to providing a safe and, and uh, secure platform for TikTok for our users now and going forward. Vanessa, you've said a number of times that you're preparing for various contingencies. Yesterday, I reported on how you're taking steps to make sure you can keep paying your employees, even if the app is shut down. What do you think is going to happen right now? You know, we're exploring multiple paths. Um, I think we all feel really confident about the future success of TikTok. And, you know, of course, we want to be a responsible company and make sure that we are looking after our employees in any scenario. Uh, but we really do think that we're going to have a positive resolution and uh, hopefully that will come soon. A positive resolution, meaning selling to one of these uh, one of these groups, either the Microsoft, uh, Walmart or the Oracle group. So it sounds like you're pretty confident that's going to happen. I would say we're, we're, we're positive that we're going to have a, a successful uh, resolution. I can't say which way that's going. Obviously, we're exploring multiple paths. Uh, but unfortunately, at this point, that's as much that I can share. Now, and in terms of those paths, it, you know, these companies that are in talks with, with ByteDance about buying TikTok, Walmart, Microsoft, Oracle, these are not exactly brands that have a, a big audience in your demographic. Are you concerned that having a parent company that is a Walmart could, could turn off either your creators or your users and send them to rivals like Facebook's Reels? Yeah, so I think I, as mentioned before, you know, what makes TikTok so special and so unique is something that we're all, you know, any player is going to want to protect. Um, and so for us in particular, you know, this is something that we hold true. We understand why TikTok's really resonated, again, around the globe in providing this unique space for creative expression, uh, for people to come together in these joyful moments and sharing whether it's, you know, uh, a woman telling her father that he's about to become a granddad for the first time uh, to, you know, family antics now that we're all in this work from home scenario uh, to just, you know, uh, like uh, families bonding uh, and, and we're seeing so much of that intergenerational connectivity. And so for us, again, we're really looking, how do we safeguard this community? How do we make sure that we continue to provide what everyone's coming to this platform and relying on us for from, uh, on a daily basis. Hey, Vanessa, can you speak to what the, what the growth or, or, frankly, user loss might have looked like over the past several weeks as people learned about, you know, the prospect of either this getting shut down or sold and clearly so many influencers going online and talking about other platforms as using as a backup and the like? Yeah, so we've actually been really inspired by the outpouring of support that we've seen from our creators, our advertisers, and our users. You know, what we've actually seen is uh, that, that we haven't had an impact uh, when we're looking at our growth numbers. Uh, we're seeing the platform continue to grow. We're seeing it growing around the world um, and here in the U.S., and, and certainly that's reassuring for us. Well, Vanessa, I hope you'll come back and talk to us again about the platform as well as its, uh, its future. Thank you so much for joining us. Andrew, back over to you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, uh, Julia, for bringing us that interview. And, and thank you, Vanessa, for uh, being as candid as you very well can be in the midst of negotiations. Uh, it's rare 
uh, that the leader of a company comes uh, on television in the midst of talks like this, and we're very appreciative of, of her joining us, and Julia, uh, to you for bringing us uh, that interview. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly uh, something transpires here, guys, and, uh, and, and what it ultimately means uh, for the industry um, more broadly. I, 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 it, and, and, of course, the soap opera that may ensue even after a, a deal is ultimately reached in terms of who's going to run the future company, what a Microsoft-Walmart uh, partnership would even look like, uh, or what an Oracle would do with the company. And then there's other companies like Twitter and others who you know have uh, tried to engage in this. Do, you know, do others try to come in and partner and do other things? So it's going to be a very, uh, very unusual time, I imagine. And I think uh, also, you know, we're watching shares of Walmart because they are basically, I mean, investors are hoping this is going to lead to a re-rating of this giant to a more Amazon-like right. rating. Even if it could get, close the gap by half, that's a meaningful addition of market cap to, to shares of Walmart. I still bet you that uh, Amazon is probably rooting for a deal like this because it could take some of the competitive pressure out of Washington, uh, take, take it off and the spotlight off them a little bit. Next on Squawk Pod, Donald Trump has formally accepted his party's nomination for president. Pollster Frank Lum says the election against Joe Biden is still way too close to call. They both did an excellent job at disqualifying the other. I'm not convinced that either did a sufficient job at defending themselves. And that's American politics today. And later, the tennis player ranked number one in the world six times in her career, Billie Jean King on sports and social justice. You are all too young, but uh, in the 60s, I was in my 20s. Now, everyone's together, and that's the change. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. The Republican National Convention wrapping up its final night. Here's President Trump speaking about his uh, view of Vice President Biden's contribution to the U.S. economy. Biden voted for the NAFTA disaster, the single worst trade deal ever enacted. He supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, one of the greatest economic disasters of all time. After those Biden calamities, the United States lost one in four manufacturing jobs. We laid off workers in Michigan, Ohio, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and many other states. They didn't want to hear Biden's hollow words of empathy. They wanted their jobs back. And joining us right now to talk about it all is Frank Luntz, political strategist and pollster. Frank, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us, as always. Uh, your takeaway last night, was that, a, uh, w was that a winning speech? Well, it was certainly a long speech. And I was there in the White House to watch every minute of it. It was an opportunity for the president. There was no sports last night, and so sports fans were probably tuned in. He's going to be hoping for a big rating, uh, people watching him. And it was interesting because he spoke about anarchy and anarchism versus socialism. And that's really the first time that I've heard him try to define Biden in a, with a word and language that's different 
from what he's been saying in the past. I thought his best line was, how can the Democrat Party lead our country when they spend so much time tearing down our country? In the left's backward view, they do not see America as the most free, just, and exceptional nation on Earth. Instead, they see a wicked nation that must be punished for its sins. Our opponents say that redemption for you can only come from giving power to them. Very distinct, very sharp lines, but there were times during the speech when he went too far, as he often does. The idea that this that he's been the best president for African Americans since Abraham Lincoln. I guess he's forgetting Lyndon Johnson and all the work of the 1960s, or that this is the most important election that there has ever been in America. At no time before have voters faced a clearer choice between two parties, two visions, two philosophies, or two agendas. This election will decide whether we save the American dream or whether we allow a socialist agenda to demolish our cherished destiny. Again, I think he's forgetting about Lincoln and forgetting about 1932. That said, he made a very strong case, as did his daughter Ivanka, for all the things that have happened over the last four years. I think it was well articulated. I think it was well de uh, delivered with the White House as a backdrop. And we can argue over whether or not that is legal. But in terms of show, in terms of content, in terms of language, it, it demonstrated what the Republican Party is about and why Trump and Biden, there really should not be any undecided voters right now because there is simply no similarity between the two candidates for president. But, Frank, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate question, which is when it goes to the swing states and, and, and you've studied them very, very well, and those, quote unquote, in the middle or on the fence, if they watch the Democratic National Convention or they watch the Republican National Convention now that they're over, how do you think it does swing? I think it swings. At this point, it's a Biden election. There is no doubt, no matter how much you want to argue about the accuracy of the polls, which Donald Trump does, which I think is a mistake, uh, Biden does emerge as of Labor Day with a very clear six or seven point lead. But, and I, I say this emphatically, this election is way too close to call. The debates are going to matter. We're going to have record viewership. And among those key swing voters, it's 6% of America. And because there are only 11 states that could go back and forth, that represents 2.4% of the country. We are about to spend billions of dollars on 2.4% of America. Trump did what he needed to do to be back in the race. Biden, a week ago, did what he needed to do to keep the lead as we approach Labor Day. Right. Frank, you know, one of the things that was so unique about uh, the Republican National Convention and, and last night's speech relative to what we saw uh, with the Democrats was uh, there was an audience uh, and there was an audience, frankly, without masks. Uh, and you could you could see it. And I wonder how you think that plays across the country. Does that play to the president's advantage? Because there's a you know, you look at that and there's a, a sense of normalcy, which is Maybe what he's trying to demonstrate, I don't know if it's right, and we'll see, obviously, in two or three weeks from now, uh, whether that was a mistake or not. Uh, it was outdoors, so hopefully that will, uh, uh, that will temper uh, any type of uh, outbreak if, if, if there was anybody there with COVID. But there's others that, that may look at that 
and question the responsibility. Well, I was there, and I'll acknowledge that a couple times I felt uncomfortable. For most of the evening, I wore a mask. It was very hot, and it was crowded, particularly after the speech, as everybody rushed to the front, as they rushed to the stage, and as they watched the fireworks. I think that Republicans will look at that and say, that's what I want. Democrats will look and say, that's dangerous. The idea that we have turned wearing masks into a partisan issue, Andrew, shows us just how divided we are. And I'm convinced that after seeing the Democratic convention and the Republican convention, Donald Trump made a strong case for why Joe Biden's policies are dangerous for the country. Joe Biden made a strong case for why Donald Trump isn't qualified anymore to lead the country. They both did an excellent job at disqualifying the other. I'm not convinced that either did a sufficient job at defending themselves. And that's American politics today, why the other side is wrong and why the other side does not deserve to be president. Frank, we want to thank you uh, for your perspective. As always, uh, there is going to be the debates and we're going to continue debating it uh, with you and others. And we look forward to uh, talking to you again very soon. Thanks again. Coming up, a podcast special. Billie Jean King on the 50th anniversary of the first professional contract in women's tennis. We signed a $1 contract with Gladys Hellman, who was the publisher of World Tennis Magazine. And how it changed the sport. We wanted to make a living. It was about the money, because girls are not taught to follow money like boys do, but it's about the money, because if you don't get the money, you can't make things happen. Squawk Pod is back after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Oh, boy. That's right, you'll be okay. I'm a terror. I have to go stretch. It's just indicative of where tennis is going, that people feel that uh, tennis, a tennis match is worth that kind of money. Since the 1970s, the name Billie Jean King has been synonymous with tennis, ranked number one in the world six times in her career, including 39 Grand Slam titles. King is a well-known advocate for gender equality. Remember the battle of the sexes the first time she won. We spoke to her yesterday. Ms. King, this is Joe Kernan. How are you? Joe, you can call me Billy. Are you kidding? I've been watching you for years. How are you? I've got my son here who's who's a big fan. Oh, you do? I can't see you guys. And to give you a sense of how we record interviews in the age of social distancing, Billie Jean King joined via Skype in New York. I can't oh, there, see you. I've got you, but I don't have a teleprompter now. Joe Kernan from his home. I don't really need a teleprompter. All I really need is the intro. Do you have that written somewhere, Katie? And myself and another producer from our homes on speakerphone with the CNBC control room. It takes a village. I wish I could see you and your son. My son is uh, is 18, loves tennis, plays on, on his team. We love to go to the... Bill 
Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. I can't say that. I called the National Tennis Center. I can't say my own name. That's embarrassing. Billie Jean King was the first female tennis player to earn $100,000 in a season. She was a pioneer in the professionalization of sports, in the ability of athletes to earn a living. What's your son's name? Scotty. Scotty, the most important thing is your contact point. Your contact point. Contact point, Scott. Most important thing. This week, pro athletes across sports, from basketball, Major League Baseball, and tennis, enacted what was basically a strike, opting not to play in response to the police shooting of unarmed black man Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's a reminder that sports is a business with workers and managers, but it also mirrors society and possible turning points in the way we live. As one of the world's winningest athletes who signed her first contract for one dollar, knows all too well. Are you ready now, Billy? We can start right now. Not ready. Go for it. What's the worst thing that happened? Here's Joe Kernan with Billie Jean King. Thank you, uh, Billy, and, and I cleared it with you already that I, that I can call you Billie Jean. Uh, yes, and please. thank you for doing this. I'm really, I'm exci- you Joe. really excited about, yeah, you can definitely call me Joe. Very excited about having you here. We were going to talk U.S. Open. We were going to talk all about COVID, uh, but given what happened um, yesterday with the NBA, and given that you're someone that uh, really has fought for equality for your entire career, what is your initial take on, on the, the developments of the last 24 hours with the NBA? I'm thrilled. It's not just the NBA. The WNBA has joined. Um, it's been, uh, tennis has absolutely joined. We, you know, we postponed our matches yesterday. Um, we are going to continue to use our platform at the U.S. Open to for positive change, for equality and, and justice. Uh, Arthur Ashe was a part of that as well. Back in the 70s, he and I were born the same year. We've always fought for equality for everyone. Black lives do matter. And uh, we've got to keep our, you know, the, the pedal to the metal. We can't let up now. We need to have change. And um, we need to help each other, be kind and good to each other. It's just so basic. It's scary. But the police situation's you know, I, my dad was a police officer and a firefighter, so I'm very um, connected to them psychologically, you know. But we also, it's obvious that things have to change at the police department because um, this is just unbelievable when you, when you think uh, about what's, what's happened uh, with people. So Let's talk about uh, okay. your own path because this is a special day as well. It's the 50th anniversary of the original nine. I don't need a remedial course because I think I was in high school uh, when all this was happening, and it was originally called the Virginia Slims Tour, but you and nine other or eight others signed for a dollar for contracts right. to launch a new tennis league uh, because the, there was no quality in terms of well, there was no quality in terms of pay or visibility or anything back then, and it's well, been okay. exactly fifty years. Right? Right, it's been 50 years since the original nine. There were nine of us. Uh, some of the players were Rosie Gonzalez, Nancy Ritchie. Um, maybe those are two people that people might know. There were two Australians, Judy Taggart-Dalton, Carrie Melville-Reed, Christy Pigeon, Julie Hellman. We signed a $1 contract with Gladys Hellman, who was the publisher of World Tennis Magazine. She went out and got a sponsor. But the thing we wanted, there's three things we wanted for the future generations. This is all about the future generations. And they're living our dream now. I mean, Serena Williams is over $92 million just in prize money. Uh, nine out of ten made the Forbes top uh, ten list in tennis. Uh, off the court money, Osaka was number one. Um, so we had three things in mind for the future generations. Number one, that any girl, any girl in the world, if she's good enough, 
will have a place to compete because we were losing tournaments like crazy. We are going backwards. Number two, that we be appreciated for our accomplishments, not only our looks. Because back then it was only talking about our looks, never about our accomplishments. And number three, the most important thing, and on CNBC, you'll understand this better than anything, we wanted to make a living. It was about the money because girls are not taught to follow the money like boys do, but it's about the money because if you don't get the money, you can't make things happen. It's so obvious. And so um, we did that, and now um, everything's changed because of it. And we fought for equality forever. The WTA, our Women's Tennis Association, which started three years later. But the tennis community, the USTA, the WTA's Women's Association, the men are the ATP, the ITF, which is the International Tennis Federation. Everyone's joined forces for this uh, to fight for equality. And the U.S. Open was the first major to have equal prize money in 1973. So we were the first. We started. Now all four majors have equal prize money. And the players, this this tournament is less than usual, but they'll each make uh, $3 million, the male and the female that win the U.S. Open. That almost sounds like, I, I almost need to say no, no, no. It couldn't have been 1973. That's that's unbelievable. Is it? I mean, looking yeah, back on it at this point, you must think. Led. You know, tennis, tennis, you know, everyone thinks it's a primarily a white sport, which it is, but we've also been a leader uh, in the fight for equality for everyone. And people like Arthur Ashe and later uh, Zena Garrison, uh, Lori McNeil, now we have Coco Goff, and she's using the platform, Osaka's using the platform. The women's tennis are number one in women's sports. We've always led, and we want to continue to lead in every category, including financial. you got to have financial, or else it's, uh, it, it doesn't just doesn't happen. feel... You know, you can have all... It doesn't feel... It's like I talk to, yeah, I talk to girls sometimes, they'll go, well, I want to do a a house for abused women, I want to do this. And I said, yes, and how are you going to do that? And they look at me like, what do you mean? I said, well, you need money. <laughs> you can't make things happen without money. It's just the way it is. And we all work together. But the right. protest, the protest right now with, is really different from the 60s. Uh, you are all too young, but uh, in the 60s, I was in my 20s. And President Kennedy died on my birthday in 63. He got assassinated. And... In the 60s, when they had protests, like with Martin Luther King Jr., you have to remember we didn't have technology like we do now. And most of the protests were all people of color. They were all black people, basically. Now, everyone's together, and that's the change. And me, as far as my age group, my hair is on fire. I'm really excited because I think this is really the moment in time that we can truly, truly... Uh, change things and go forward because the young kids they have it right I know you have a son Scotty I bet he's he knows it's we're all they we're all in this together but the kids are really I just love the Millennials and the and the you know the, the Gen Z's they're on it because they understand and they just they care about the right things they don't care what your color your religion they they just get along so much better but I love the protest I yep. love what they're doing but I hope also that's going to change financially for people of color because they don't make as much as uh, white people and women also all women do not make make as much as white males yep. and everyone uh, has I, to be able to, uh, everyone I, has to make money and have a good uh, living because then the world will prosper yep i would be remiss my son the reason i mentioned him is because he's right here taking pictures because i have you my daughter who is now 20 was captain of her tennis team and she's at penn now 
and I'm going to see You're her kidding. later today. But she's down at a university. Of, no, she's at University of Pennsylvania, and in high school was the captain of her tennis team, and she's a huge fan too. But she's not here, and I didn't mean to leave her out. But uh, oh, but, okay. but thank you for mentioning Scotty. Well, you've got two. Sounds like two wonderful I, I children. And your daughter is a leader. If she were the captain, in fact, that's one of the most important things. Ninety-six percent of women in C-suites identify with being an athlete. And one of the questions that people, when they're hiring, ask, have you been in sports? Were you ever a captain of a team? So your daughter's one up on that for getting a job. I want to move on and just talk about the, the U.S. Open, because that, that's why we were going to talk uh, initially until yes. some of these other uh, things came along, more, more important things. But there's COVID. There's, there's no fans. Some, some players are, are not going to come. What, it, it, you know what? I'm still going to watch, though, and, I, and I'm still excited about it. Is that, is that okay? Can we, can we pull this off? Yes, I I'm very, I'm very excited because it's different, and I want to know how the players are going to adapt. I'm very, very interested. Usually on the big showcase courts where they have the highest seats, they really thrive on this audience, whereas the lesser-ranked players aren't used to that. They usually do worse. But I, this is a totally different ballgame now because I think everyone's got a chance. Some players are not showing up, um, and it's a chance maybe for an American to get in there and when it's, I am excited because at least they're they're fortunate. First of all, to have an opportunity to compete and to make a living, uh, that's great. And then the Open has done a great job with the testing and the frequency and working with the health officials in New York. I mean, it has been they've been spending months on this because I've kept up with it. I talked to them, but it really gets down to personal responsibility and that they have their bubble. They have two bubbles: one for the players, one for the support team, and all. That. It's and they've. They're, they're trying to do it right, and so far it's been unbelievable. But, you know, they demand the mask. You have to, you know, wear your mask and the social distancing. We have to take personal responsibility so no one else gets sick. I always get a kick out of people. Well, I love it when I don't have to wear my mask and I'm out here at this, uh, you know, there's 250,000 people here, and I'm like, yeah, I love it. It's really good for me. And I feel like saying, yeah, but what about the other guy? You know, you, it's also not to get them sick. <laughs> it's like some people, they think it's just about them and right. their mask. It's, no, it's about not getting your family, your friends, your loved ones. You don't want to get them sick. So, And so the U.S. Open has been very, very adaptable. I have two sayings as a coach. Pressure is a privilege, and champions adjust or adapt. And when COVID started in March, and started to, we started to isolate March 17th in New York City, uh, with Lana, my partner, and me, and I just said champions adapt. Champions adjust. This, this is what this is all about. It's one ball at a time. I just one ball at a time. Every day I get up and I and I go, okay, make sure you wear my mask. Make sure I distance. Make sure I wash my hands. I mean, I just do that every day, just like rehearsal. Like when I was, if I'm playing tennis, uh, when I was playing, I always would go through these, visualize and go through these. And just you have to do it. I appreciate all, all your time. I I don't want to go uh, take too much about it. Can I wrap this up by by just mentioning? I look back. Like I said, I I was there watching you, so it's not like I had to read up on this. But you have, uh, in your life, you've gone through so many barriers, so, so many, you know, take your pick, multiple barriers and gotten to where you are and seen society change and seen a lot of progress. But we're feeling now not so great about everything and the progress. Have we made progress? Are, are things better? Can you be optimistic about that, that we can resolve some of these things and, uh, and, you know, and move forward and to a better uh, place? I know the kids, I know the young people are going to make this happen. 
our job is the old, my job as an older person is to support them and then get out of the way. But we, you know, the Jacob Blake family, I mean, I thought his mother was amazing. It's obviously not right. But for the first time, people are actually listening, really listening to black people's story. I think we're understanding what's happened. And the more you know about history, the more you know about yourself. But the most important reason to know about history is because we can shape the future. We need to make, we need to really, really get in there and listen and support um, justice and equality every single day as we go through yeah. life. And anytime we can uh, do something, you know, we got to show up. Because I always say showing up, bringing all of yourself as a jock, as an athlete, is everything. It's that way in life. And it's so, so important. So it's really important to show up, stand up, and speak up. Right. Billy Jean, I, I you know, Thank you. I, even virtually, I've, I've enjoyed, uh, you, you know, watching you, everything about your career for so long. It was great to see you today. If there ever great is a, another U.S. Open where, where I can come, I want you to try okay. to remember that we did this and who I am, because I'm going to come out to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, and I'm going to come over and say hi to you if, if you're in there. And I, I want you I, I, don't look at me and say, who is, who is this fool? I've been watching you for years on CNBC, so thank you because, uh, you know, I love to listen to the stock market and business. I'm a, a small business owner, so I'm always interested in what's going on. So thank you so much. You've been great through the years, and this was wonderful to finally meet you virtually, but we do have to meet in person. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to and share Squawk Pod. And we'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.